Welcome to Bible Fellowship Assembly Sunday Morning Messages. Today, Phil Donaldson introduces us to the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes and gives us an overview of Ecclesiastes 1 verse 1 through 2 verse 11. And now, here's Phil. Next week, our speaker in Ecclesiastes is going to be our brother Eve, and I understand he's going to uh, sing this song taken from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, Turn, Turn, Turn. It's a, for those of you who aren't from the 60s, it's a hymn that was, or it was a hymn, it was a song that was made famous by the birds. And uh, at the last word of that song, uh, it's, the line was something along the line of, there is still time for peace, I swear it's not too late. Uh, that's my prayer for us today, that uh, it is the time. It is the time for us to consider the topic of wisdom. And it's the time for us to apply the wisdom of God in our lives. Um, we sang though, that in day by day, the moment's fleeting. And the days, in fact, are going quickly. And uh, we look forward to uh, this study in the book of Ecclesiastes. You may recall a, a note requesting our next uh, series uh, and what it might be earlier on. And we had two suggestions of what we might want to take up. Take up. And the first was uh, a study of Ecclesiastes. We have not studied this for a long time. We probably read it and are confused by it and set it aside quickly. And uh, we're going to take some time to try and delve into uh, the, this book and the matters it raises for our day-to-day uh, living. You can turn to the book of Ecclesiastes. We're going to, at some point in the sermon, look at, look at the first chapter and a bit into the second chapter. Uh, this book raises a very serious question for, that's important for every person, whether young or old. It's uh, the question that's on the top of the slide. Where do we find the greatest good for people? Uh, just by way of introduction, uh, the, the book that's before us is part of that uh, assemblage of Old Testament books that in, includes this one. The Old Testament books were assembled in various groups, the Pentateuch, or the five books of, known as the Torah. There were 12 historical books, five poetical or wisdom books, of which this one is a piece of it, and 17 uh, prophetic books. So these five books that are uh, poetical in nature is the book of Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. So the fourth of these is what's before us this morning. Uh, many have proposed uh, commentators that they're in the wrong order in the collection, and uh, that's an interesting point. The Song of Solomon perhaps should have been way ahead of Ecclesiastes and maybe the Proverbs somewhere in between because of the nature and time of his likely writing these. I just found that point a little interesting. The question that we have before us this morning is taken from Ecclesiastes chapter 6 and verse 12, and I think it's the overarching theme verse of the, of the whole uh, of that whole book for who knows what is good for man while he lives the few days of his vain life which he passes like a shadow for who can tell what man will be after him under the sun who knows what is good for man what is the greatest good 
that we can search for and find as seekers of people looking for value and meaning in our own lives. Last week, somebody said that there's a homework assignment, and we're not going to give this much time, but I propose that uh, to help us apply our understanding of wisdom within the context of our own lives as we hear these messages, uh, to become an author. Uh, On the right-hand side of your slide, uh, Peg and I had a a set of questions from our daughter one Christmas, uh, two Christmases ago, I guess, uh, where each week we received a question where we had to answer by way of a story. And for many of these, it was our wisdom on different things. And uh, so for that whole year, we, uh, we collected all of our pictures around and uh, wrote some stories on beh- to our grandchildren and to our children in answer to some questions. So that prompted the thought that maybe that's something we could do focused on the topic of wisdom, which is the theme of this book. So I gave a bit of an outline on the slide. I won't go through it one by one, but the prologue is meant for you to write down your own definition of the word wisdom. Uh, The second is uh, uh, dedicated to who your audience is going to be. In Solomon's case, it's uh, an audience of the Jewish people generally. For you, it might be your spouse and children. For others, it might be their grandchildren. For others, it might be... You pick your own audience to reflect the wisdom you want to record as you learn about this in more detail through the book. Chapter 2 is a very important question. Where do I find wisdom in my life? Where do I go to? How can I find it? And then, uh, well, I'm... Uh, thanks for that prompt. I'm going the wrong way, too. The talk's almost over. How did that happen? I'm still going the wrong way. Eve, help. Can you put me back? I've lost. So that's a bit of a, of a uh, uh, suggestion that we have for each other. And if we look at the, at the titles that you might want to make the chapters of, you might want to be thoughtful about the realm where this particular wisdom I'm describing gets applied. So this will be in the notes that go out uh, on the Internet, and you can print them and use them as a bit of a, a thinking guide. So to our introduction, the, what is the, where is there a clue that helps us understand this book from its title in our Bibles, entitled The Ecclesiastes? What does that mean? It, some of us could have thought the better title would have been The Wisdom of the Author or Wisdom Compared with Folly or some other topic like that, but we are stuck with this word Ecclesiastes to try and understand the book. Uh, in the Hebrew Bible, if you turn to it, there would be the word koholet, uh, with my apologies to Hebrew scholars, which directly translated means gatherer. And the sense of that word in the original documents was a gatherer for the purpose of sharing something with others. Uh, Brother David referred to the title as the teacher this morning. And uh, oftentimes you'll hear it described as the word the preacher. And that is accurate in the sense that the author collected uh, the things that he wanted to share with the nation of Israel. Uh, when the Septuagint uh, was written, which was the translation by the Hebrew Old Testament into Greek, in Alexandria, and Ted will help me with it and remember the date. Uh, 
It was translated Ecclesiastes. And some of us will recognize that word in our studies of the church as Ecclesia. The church is the English word for Ecclesia in the Greek Hebrew, in the Greek New Testament. And that describes the gathering together of the people into the body of Christ as it's applied to that, that setting. And that is where the word Ecclesiastes comes from. A gathering of people for a particular purpose or the gathering of things, messages, sermons, uh, wisdom, pieces of wisdom in this case. So that's where the topic comes from. So who wrote the book? I've already alluded to uh, my belief on who wrote it and the audience I've covered. Uh, written by King Solomon. Some commentators will talk about later additions to it and other collectors, but we won't waste our time on that. The main thing we get this belief from is from the book itself and the Bible itself uh, from its internal evidence. I'll just read through these quickly. Chapter 1 and verse 1. The words of the teacher, son of David, king of Jerusalem. That clearly identifies the author in my mind. Chapter 1, verse 12. I, the teacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. In addition, the alignment of his writing of personal experience fits King Solomon, right? Uh, he was wealthy. He was uh, the king. He was had all of these things going for him and identifies those things in, in the various chapters of the book. Verse 9 of uh, chapter 2, I think it is, I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. It describes his building programs and his uh, and so on. So it's very clearly to us, at least, that it's King Solomon, and we'll carry on with that. Now, who was King Solomon? Uh, very briefly, what I've done here for us all is recorded the scriptures from which these summary titles come, and that's all. I'm going to take time to tell a story. Many of us know this King Solomon story. He was the son of King David and Bathsheba. He secured his kingship by murder. His wisdom was a grant from God. We talked about the source, and we'll come back to that. He was uh, one of his, two of his great tasks were the building and the dedication of, of temple, and the other big building he built was one for himself, of course. Uh, he had accumulation of wealth and influence. But we note throughout, and we're going to see all of the evidence of it in the book of Ecclesiastes about his downfall from God. And we'll talk about that again. His spiritual decline, which started with a few steps of disobedience and fell to the level of disobedience and sin and evil that crept into his life. One historical summary of him within the Bible is from Nehemiah chapter 13 and verse 26. Was it not because of marriages like these that Solomon, king of Israel, sinned? Among the many nations, there was no king like him. He was loved by his God from the beginning, and God made him king over all Israel. But even he was led into sin uh, by uh, foreign women, women uh, marriages. So King Solomon is the author in there. You can read up to catch up on his life uh, at your leisure. Some of, we've seen these word counts before, and when I open a new book, I try and... Uh, that's not showing very clearly, is it? Uh, I, 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 I like to find out what the key words are that are being used in that particular book. And yeah, we know the books, and so, but sometimes it's helpful just to see, oh, I missed that part or this part. In this case... Uh, I see that the slide is not uh, 
showing up too well. But there's the summary of the slide on the right. Uh, and you can see the frequency of each word used throughout the whole book of Ecclesiastes. That's what that slide is about. And uh, I'm using the wrong pointer here, sorry. So uh, 56 times in the book, these might be approximate, depending what version is you use. I use the NIV for this. 56 times the word man, 41 terms to no surprise, time and its passing and its fleetingness in our life. Uh, there should be a capital G, God, but there are 41 times he is mentioned. That's a bit of a surprise when you think about every, lots of people, when you read Ecclesiastes, you try to make sense of it by reading the last chapter or so. But all the way through the book are interjections by Solomon about God and his place. And that's one of the complexities of the book because he wasn't given God much of his time throughout his life. And how he, in some kind of confusing way, was trying to still hang on to his relationship with God, particularly when he turned to be an old man when he wrote this. And we have some work to do in our studies to uh, find out where, how God fits into the, to the fleetingness of his, his life. Uh, and so we, uh, we see this term uh, uh, meaningless in the NIV. I'm going to talk in depth about that in a moment or two. The term under the sun, uh, some 35 times, 29, where we get our the focus on wisdom throughout the whole book, 29. And then all of those other things around that topic, I won't go through them one by one. You can look at it in the slide. Um, another one is wind. I just highlighted to myself a lot about evil, a lot, of light, a lot about knowing, a lot about the fool, that you can look at different areas uh, in, in the text about those topics. I want to just highlight for a moment the um, me the word vanity is vanity says says the writer, and that word applied to our understanding is not too clear. What exactly was he getting at? And uh, in the NIV, the word is meaningless. In the King James, it's uh, uh, vanity, as I just mentioned. In New American, has futility. And the message has smoke. Now that's an interesting one because it's at the heart of the way I, I'm looking at the meaning of this word meaningless or vanity. The literal meaning, the physical meaning of, uh, is anyone seen? There it is. Uh, me, the literal meaning of the word common usage at the time of the writing meant mist or vapor. So, Solomon was choosing the word mist or vapor uh, as the literal word that he applies to what he's writing about by way of metaphor. So sometimes he uses the real word in its physical meaning, and other times he he uses it in a metaphorical sense, uh, something to represent what he's talking about in the area of wisdom. And uh, the... Uh, I, I worked very hard on this, and I'll, I'll just give you the conclusion of it. Uh, in, in synonyms within the book of Ecclesiastes, you'll also read chasing after the wind. And the way those two things fit together is uh, mist or vapor, as the little picture shows on the right, not too well, uh, a picture of mist over the land of Israel. When the sun comes up, when the wind blows, the mist and vapor disappears, right? And... So that's that's used synonymously with with the word uh, meaningless uh, as it's often interpreted. 
I'm going to suggest, and you can, this is just my interpretation, but you can work with it yourself as you see fit. The, the metaphor is often applied, most often applied, as meaning the, a fleeting uh, value. Fleeting value. And just think about that as you go and for the speakers to come. I suggest you start with the, with that uh, metaphorical application when it's not being used in its real applica- in its real inter- uh, translation. But uh, think of it as fleeting value. Now, a lot of times it goes further to border on meaningless. I, I really don't like that in that word uh, applied in Ecclesiastes, because oftentimes it's in, entwined with God's presence in the text. So it just doesn't fit too well. I think it's better to look at each particular text and think of it as fleeting value and then work to other things that might be present in the context of that verse. I know this is a bit technical, but it's it's necessary for the speakers to come as well. Um, I don't know what button to press here, but we'll get there. Here's one example, just briefly. The uh, uh, I'm urging us all to start with the actual meaning at the time, interpret it as, a, as its use, as a metaphor in its immediate context. And here's an example why one of the ones that I got me thinking in this direction, and here I am pressing the wrong button. Oh, here we go. I'm going forward each way. Oh, this one? Thanks, brother. No, still wrong. Can you get, get me back? Okay, thank you. It's very stressful up here. You can probably see it. And they laugh at me. They were laughing at the comedian last night. Now they got... Never mind. Uh, So, go eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart, for it is now that God favors what you do. So we don't want to use the word meaningless in the next verse, right? Always be clothed in white... And always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy life with your wife, whom uh, you love, all the days of this fleeting life that God has given you under the sun. Uh, uh, all your, not meaningless, fleeting days. That's an example of why my, my conclusion is what it is. It, time is short. There's a time for this. There's a time for that. But it is short. And... You want to be chasing the right things, says Solomon, because time is short. And these things within that time frame are fleeting. So the next uh, slide we have before us is the meaning of the phrase, under the sun. Now at first blush, you could just say under the sun simply means the place where we all live. We're on the planet. The sun is above us. That's the frame of reference. But this is a layered phrase in the book that we need to follow carefully. It also can refer to, and does in the book I'm obviously suggesting, that it's the perspective where people ignore God in how they choose to live in the world. And if you don't have this view of what it means in the book, you're going to get some verses that seem to pop out as being inconsistent with the Christian teaching throughout the Bible and uh, we can't make sense of it uh, even without that at times. Life is like the animals. Oh, what does that mean with respect to eternity? The only way you can understand those verses is 
Solomon is talking about this perspective where people ignore God, including him in how they choose to live in the world. So some of these verses that uh, have the the um, Proverbs or whatever he's talking about, uh, within this perspective, it could be his own experience or it could be his, ob- be his observations from the lives of others. Are you with me? So that's the level two. But then clearly in the book, it's Solomon speaking about his own life. And that, and this is why we think he was, is writing it in his young age, in his old age to those who are younger, uh, because of what he's saying about the experiences of his whole life. He's talking about under the sun as his own personal perspective, uh, where he ignored God in all of those choices within his life. That phrase comes up something like, uh, I think it's 30 times in the book, so we need to understand it. So that's why I've got one more slide for you, and I know there's going to be a lot of, uh, uh, what's the word? What? So I'm trying to, I, I, it's what you get when you ask an engineer to speak on a poetic book. I know that. But uh, just a few things to highlight. The way my mind works, I think it's helpful. Or doesn't. So we want to, we're really at this book because we want to understand God through it somehow. And it's going to be work. Uh, but it's, it's very fascinating as we go through it. There's a title, the, this domain is under the sun. And I've drawn some arrows here because God is always reaching to the people, all people under the sun to come into a relationship with Him. There is our choice which is the beginning of wisdom, or not. But Solomon's choice was most of his life to live without God. And our choice is, do we live with God or without him? It's, it's a starting fundamental of, of our outlook on life, or anyone's perspective on life, whether they start, they have to start somewhere, or they go nowhere. The, with, with God is what God wants people to, or who, he wants people to choose to be in a relationship with him. The second part of this, sli- this uh, part of the slide is his experience, Solomon's experience. He was writing about fleeting the mist and the vapor of the things that he thought might show value and might bring wisdom to him that didn't result in those things. And uh, in his heart, uh, he was he started off with God. He had this slide in his life away from God. And he uh, became extremely rebellious. And then there's that question about the end of his life, whether he was repentant or not. And I'll leave that to the Lord uh, to decide his eternal future. But uh, the next part of this is the quality of it. People can have wisdom, but is it the best thing possible for them? And what I, so it's the quality of our experience that we're striving towards in our time together throughout this book. And in the book, you're going to find, you're looking for wisdom, but some of it's going to, if you draw a line down the center, and that's why I've purposely outlined out, uh, this this way, there's a lot of wisdom that's available in this side of the equation. In the case of Solomon, it's things to avoid, but that's part of wisdom, isn't it? So you, you have to think about each verse as we go through them and say, 
Is it on this side of the line or is it, does it, uh, is it realistic for us to include that in our set of wisdom being with God? So when you look through the verses, you might think of this chart and say, yeah, this is clearly evil under the sun. It's real clear. Other times it's not so clear and I have examples, but I don't have time for them. So that's why I drew it this way. And then the, the uh, issue of folly is, is also another quality that is different from wisdom. It's the opposite. And that's how it's often described by Solomon. This was wise, this was foolishness. So that's how we can navigate the book on the subject of quality. But there's a dimension, another dimension to the book that's so important. And that's the, the destiny. If you're on this side of the equation, you have folly that uh, death, I should have said this earlier, death is for us all. As Solomon keeps making that point. Is we all die, so it, we have an end point. But some for that who choose this path, all who choose this path, end up in judgment, and it's eternal. And you can find that in the book for sure. And for us on this side, uh, hopefully all of us, with God, we have an eternity that is, has got us there uh, with rich reward, re, rich reward because we were with God pursuing the path of his wisdom. So that's a bit of an outline in how we're navigating the, uh, uh, the book. Now, while I'm trying to find the next slide, <laughs> uh, what is your definition of wisdom? So, first of all, we go to the dictionary. I won't spend much time on this. Some references describe wisdom as someone who is wise. Now, that's really useful, isn't it? Uh, Some that I found, the ability to use your knowledge and experience to make good decisions and judgments. The soundness of an action or decision with regard to the application of experience, knowledge, and good judgment. The question is, what determines what is good? How is wisdom, which is a decision-making process, how is it informed about what is good? When you look at the wisdom in someone else, how are you? What, by what value set are you going to judge whether that's a wise thing or not? And the suggestion is, of course, where the starting point is, is not where is it, it's in whom is it found. The book of Ecclesiastes doesn't define the word wisdom. So I've got two slides here to help us with the definition uh, as it's, first of all, used in the book. In the usage in Ecclesiastes, we determine its full meaning. It's the opposite of madness and folly in chapter 1 and verse 17. The best application of knowledge in chapter 1, verse 16. I won't quote all the verses as I go. The source of the best wisdom is God. It includes the capabilities to discern, first of all, the strategy and tactics that deliver the best results. It also talks about the appropriate time in chapter 3, as we saw earlier. The best goals to strive for. The nature of the people and the situation around you in chapter 7. The motivations that deliver the greater good in chapter 6 and verse 4 the values of relationships in chapter 6, and the resolve for self-control in chapter 7. 
It also, the book also talks about the capabilities to learn from new knowledge and new knowledge and experience with a resolve to improve. We don't have time, of course, to go through all that, but here's my, here's my definition uh, in, in sort of a full laid out way that I hope helps us. What is its source? The fear of God, Jesus and his example, God's word, God's spirit, are the informers of wisdom for the Christian people. Whenever you look at the word wisdom in the scriptures overall, not just in Ecclesiastes, but throughout, I know Dave Jay gave a talk on just wisdom not too long ago from the book of James. It's, it's, you always find with the word wisdom a partner, as I call it. That which informs us in our receiving and applying and improving uh, and imparting as well. Uh, with, uh, the wisdom we get is through knowledge, instruction, understanding, and experience. These are some of the partners to wisdom that, that you find when people are trying to describe what wisdom is. And we've talked about the types and presentation, God's versus the world's folly. Choices and outcomes are best based on God's character and will. And then wisdom is essentially a series of capabilities and practiced skill. So I've listed a bunch of those as well. Discretion, judgment, counsel from others, reproof, someone correcting you, relational wisdom, how we behave with others, self-control, controlling ourselves in our relationship with others, and humility, as our brother Dave's talk covered uh, the other day in uh, at Shillington. So the outline of the book, I'm going to be a few minutes uh, late. Uh, what is the purpose in writing? Uh, I want to highlight these four just by reading them, the chapters attached to it, or the verses attached to it. To show, Solomon wrote this, to show that all earthly goals viewed as ends in themselves. That's the key thing to understand when you're looking at it verse by verse. They result in a sense of valueless pursuit. His second purpose, to demonstrate that ignoring God and living in disobedience is a slide to the depths of sin, which leads to God's judgment both now and in eternity. The third is to discern wisdom, of course. And number four, to exhort the younger generation to live with and for God as the key to the greatest good. So the structure of the book uh, outlines a, a number of ways. When even I were first starting to look at, look at this book, well, how do we? How do? What's the structure of his writing? It's a poem, after all, and people like us, we need structure. So uh, here we go. First of all, the problem is defined, which we've been working on together in chapters one and early two. We begin the study, and there is outlined his methodology of uh, studying the problem and quest that he had throughout his life. And that takes us all the way through to the uh, problem solution, which gives at the end in chapters 11, 9 to 12, 12. So that's what the speakers are going to be working with as a subdivision as the book, and they'll probably each go their own way. The uh, So for the little bit that uh, we have left, I'm just going to very quickly, I'm out of time, but uh, in, in the next... Uh, in chapters 1, verses 1 to 12, he states the problem. And you can read that on your own. He merely says, everything is fleeting. The earth continues and all of it is here just for a time. It all passes away. 
but what is the value of our life? That's his statement of the problem. Uh, in, uh, in the starting point for the preacher is the next slide. I was hoping to read some of this, but he, uh, we won't take the time, but he's the teacher outlining uh, his starting point. He kind of puts wisdom in a personal category. He personifies the use of the term, uh, but he is uh, uh, telling us that uh, these are things that uh, are things you do not want to follow. Now, this slide, does anyone want me to talk on inductive and deductive reasoning? No, so I won't. Oh, Eve does. Okay. It's another sub for you just to pay attention to. But in the first part of the book, he focuses on his own experiences, and from those experiences leads up to his overall uh, conclusion or thesis or saying, however, whatever discipline you want to look at this, uh, these skills in. So it's from his to the general. Deductive reasoning is when he's working with, he's got this hypothesis or this general understanding that he now has, and he tests it on the data around him through different, uh, different experiences of others mostly, uh, sometimes himself again, to, uh, uh, to find where the better pursuit lies. And just a bit of a thing to keep in mind as you look through the verses and uh, try to understand, okay, how does he get from here, here to there? Uh, for the sake of time, really quickly, uh, I've uh, put the word fleeting in so you can see why it makes sense in some of these verses as well. But the main point of these, of this chapter, and you can read it on your own, is the things that the man who had everything, in quotes, uh, went through all of these avenues so that we don't have to go through them. And we, he lists all the, uh, all the things that he did. He bought slaves. He had silver wealths. He had singers. He had a harem of a huge size. He had work, which he didn't do. He did well in in the physical ways, but not uh, not fulfilling the purposes of things like the, the the temple and houses and so on. And again, it's so much. He spent most of his life in that category of pursuing things for their own sake, rather than viewing all that was before him as a gift, a trust from God, and what he did with those things in each and every circumstance. So the last slide is, why study this book? I know there's some people that are half asleep and saying, why why are we doing this? No, I didn't point at anybody, did I? Why study the words of the preacher? First, of course, learn from one who had it all, the things to avoid. A lot of this book is going to be about the things to avoid, not so much the positive wisdom we want to try and draw out of it through our own writing and reading of wisdom across Scripture. Don't take any step towards the abyss. He started with one little thing, and then he slid. And look what he had become. Just evil person and life. In the eyes of the world, powerful, successful. Those are the things he's measured by. He was granted wisdom by God, but he left all that behind. He says he claims he has continued some wisdom, and we'll read about that through the book, and he did, but it's worth looking at them. The value, the, the, the discerning, the turning to God for his wisdom for the, is the way that the only 
best good can be found. People, when they read this list about wisdom, say, well, I have all that without God. Yeah? Really? We need Him as the source of the wisdom that informs our mind about what is the greatest good. There can be some good without Him and classified as wisdom in the common sense use of the term. But we're here together to learn about the wisdom that comes only from God and in our relationship with him. And it's through that. Oh, one more point here. The eternal perspective he had a knowledge of, and he is urging us throughout the book to remember that on one side of that chart is judgment, and the other side of that chart is God's work in you, and he's urging us all to end well, unlike him. He wants us to end well in what God has <coughs> what God has started in us. So, sorry about the long speech. I spent a lot of time uh, trying to figure this book out and have not enough time preparing it to be short. But anyway, let's uh, just close with a word of prayer, shall we? Dear God, our Father, we're just before you uh, humbly to turn to you for who you are to be, who you are and you, who you are for us. We just pray, pray that as we embark in this series together that the Holy Spirit through your word would assist us in our coming to a deeper sense of wisdom and that we would learn that which we are to avoid and not value, but to value and become people who always follow and look at things from your perspective and from your guiding and your uh, and your directing in our lives personally. So we commit to you, to, uh, to you uh, afresh ourselves, our, our ministries for you, and all that we have perspective on, that it would all be subject to our relationship with you and with your wisdom informing us of how we are to look at these things and how we are to live in Jesus' name and for your glory, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. Come back next week for the next Sunday morning message from Bible Fellowship Assembly. Visit us on the web at bfa.church where you will find our physical address and contact information. We'd love to see you if you're in the Timmins area, or drop us a line at info at bfa.church. Until next time. <laughs>